Hey everybody, this is your brother, Narda Michael Walden. Welcome to All In, my podcast where we break down music, life, and love, interviews, and conversations. Let's get into it. My brother, love you. Oh, man, look at I you. Love you. Oh, my God. You. I was so young when I was born. My eyes could not yet see. And by the time of my first dawn, somebody holding me, they said, I welcome you to Cracker Box Palace. We've been expecting you, Alvin. You bring such joy to Cracker Box Palace. No matter where you roam, no, our love is true. No matter where you roam, no, our love is true. All the musicians around the world, Alvin Taylor, send you love at this moment. On behalf of your beloved, George Harrison. On behalf of all people who love you, I honor you at this time. We want to honor you at this time for all the love you've given, all the heartbeat of drums you put down with the passion and the groove and the grounding that you bring. We want to really just thank you and say, Alvin Taylor, it's your time to shine, bro. Go. <laughs> love you, brother. Love you. <laughs> Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. All right. <laughs> Bringing tears to my eyes. Uh, never had such a beautiful welcome in all my life, Narada. Oh, thank you, Alvin. God bless you, man. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, you you work with everybody, so I mean, it's like the whole world wants to come right down and say hello to you. You know, George Harrison would have loved to have heard that. Um. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you too, brother. Thank you. Well, speaking of George, let's just start with him, because, I mean, he's the Beatle, you're at the castle, you're cutting this music, and it's phenomenal, and the whole world has embraced it and loved it. So, anything you want to say, just to start off? Well, first of all, I'm amazed that I have uh, the privilege and a pleasure uh, to be face-to-face uh, -face, uh, with the great Narada Michael Walden. Uh, one of my favorite drummers of all times. Uh, I've heard you on so many things. Uh, God, uh, Evelyn King Champagne, the great Aretha Franklin that you've produced. And you've done so much uh, great work. And um, it's it's a dream come true, first of all, to actually meet you. We have a lot of uh, friends that, um, um, that we know that, uh, how would you say it there? Um, friends that we know that are friends of each other and I guess there's another way to say that uh, associates that we uh, 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 committed to and friends uh, Kenny Burke oh my god I love Kenny he's yeah. Kenny Kenny's the master and, and when he was a little kid with the five stair steps and you know don't waste your time my love is done and is it to fight? you know all those grooves they put down so genius god man <laughs> Clarence and I, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a, a, and with another friend of mine, <laughs> someday, you know, Bernard Pretty. Ooh, I mean, that guy was just a monster on that, you know. Yes, man. Oh, my God. So awesome, so beautiful. I don't know. Um, what can I say? Uh, you're you're an amazing drummer, uh, amazing producer, writer, singer, and uh, for me to be face to face with you, I, I I'm I truly I'm honored, and uh, so I'm grateful to have the privilege and the pleasure to be here with you today and uh, to be on your show. Uh, to be a guest, and uh, I, you know, I, I don't feel like a guest. I feel like I'm home. I feel like I'm home. 
<laughs> well, this is why we love you because you have such a great repertoire of everything that you've done. It's just overwhelming. It's just so much. So I just I wanted just to have you here to say love you, respect you, and teach us. You have seen things that we will never see. You know things that we will never know. Maybe you can just take a little of your time and share some wisdom with us of some things you've seen that will help us have a better life on the earth. Well, you know, being a little boy from Palm Springs, California, and you could tell that's where I got my suntan from. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Here in the sun in Palm Springs, you know. That's right. I absolutely love my city, Palm Springs, and growing up as a young boy here, um, I just was in the right place at the right time, being very, very extremely privileged, uh, an honorary Red Pack member because of being discovered by Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Little Richard, Billy Preston, all sitting at a table at the same time while I'm playing drums, 14 years old, and, and you know, bussing tables at the same time. The owner of the Biltmore Hotel said, Hey, as long as his tables are bust, let him play. You know, the, the the guy, Arky, in the band called the Soul Patrol, the drummer would get totally inebriated and couldn't finish the set, couldn't play. And so I let the the uh, the band leader know that, hey, I, I can play drums. You know, I get out of here, kid. I'm like, oh, so seriously, I can really, really play. So he gave me a shot one Saturday, uh, tried me out, and he was like, oh, Oh, my God. And he started telling the band, you should hear this guy. Went to the owner of the hotel, the Biltmore Hotel, and said, hey, this guy can play drums, and we want him to play drums here. He said, you got to be out of your mind. This is my bus boy. He has to bust the tables. And he said, and I, well, but he's a great drummer also, and we really need him. And he said, well, you know, as, as long as the tables are bust, let him come on in and let him, we'll, we'll let him sit in every now and then. So, uh, you know, one night the, the drummer got drunk, excuse the expression, or inebriated, I should say. Uh, and uh, he set out, I set in, and in walked at the same time, Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr., Little Richard, and Billy Preston, and Narada. And thus, my career begun, because I'm playing drums when these guys walk in, and they're like, oh, Frank Sinatra's pointing, he's Little Richard. And, and it's funny because uh, Frank had just started a label called Reprise Records, distributed by Warner Brothers. That was his French label. But he he was signing Little Richard. I think, you know, later on, I thought, how in the world? I couldn't figure it out. Why is Little Richard with Sammy David? I mean, these, these guys don't seem to mix together. But as it turned out, uh, they were doing a celebration for the signing of Little Richard to Reprise Records. And so they were all together hanging out. And they happened to come to the restaurant where I was a busboy at. And my career began that night. The Richard said, Woo, honey, I ain't seen a drummer like that since I left Bacon, Georgia. He said, Ooh, when I see Narada, he says, When I seen you play them drums, my boots just, my, my, my big toe just shot straight up in my boots. And he says, And I wanted to scream like a white lady. <laughs> it was so funny. I was like, It was totally comical. And he's like, Would you be in my band? And I'm thinking, you know, I live in, 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 in Palm Springs. I live on the Indian Reservation. I grew up on the Indian Reservation. So when he says band, of course, I'm thinking band of Indians or something. You know what I mean? Because he's got all these headdress going on with all this feathers and stuff coming out. And I'm thinking maybe he's one of the Indian chiefs or something and be in his band. I mean, I, it was kind of you know interesting. But he, later on, I found out that he was a rock and roll star and that... Um, um, you know, he wanted me to play in the band, so he wanted my mom's phone number to call my mom. And next thing I know, uh, my mom is saying no under no circumstances. Or and Richard's like, uh, well, you know, uh, my manager wants to talk to you. So he, uh, Richard, not wanting to be outdone, allowed his manager, Bumps Blackwell, to try to negotiate the deal. Bumps is like, well, what are your concerns? It's like, well, you know, he's only 14 years old. He's still in school. You know, he's got a job. And, you know, he's still young. And, you know, I, I, you know, I don't I don't want him in uh, that kind of a lifestyle. And 
just kind of concerned about, you know, where I was going to go. So finally, um, you know, um, Bumps not being, wanting to, want, Richard not wanting to be out done having Blackwell to negotiate this deal. Blackwell's finding out what the concerns are. And he says, well, we'll have a bodyguard uh, with him. A matter of fact, we'll have two bodyguards with him. And then uh, he'll, he'll be next door to, uh, in, in the adjoining suite to Richard's room everywhere we go. And we'll fly him first class with Richard everywhere he goes. He doesn't have to be on the bus uh, uh, with the band because uh, it was an 18-piece orchestra. And so the um, – and, and then he was saying, and he'll get this – amount of X amount of dollars. And my mom was like, what? Uh, could you repeat that? How much? And uh, so she said, uh, uh, when do I help him pack? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. next thing right. I know. Right. Because that's more, I was getting more money, Narada, literally, uh, than my mom's uh, uh, payment a month for the mortgage uh, every month. Uh, so I was making that a week on the road with Richard. So she finally let me go and that's where my career started and that's how it got going, man. That's from since that point, so much has happened to uh, to where I met with you. Now that was like in '67. Yeah, I've been checking you out a lot, and then this morning again, I watched even more things. And you really play it, man. You uh, really play you. it. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, you play it, man. Bless you, bless you, bless you. I want to ask you. I want to ask you because when I was little, coming up, little Richard had the electricity. He was the first cat that really ele electrified me with um, "Tutti Frutti," "Good Golly, Miss Molly." There the, the were seventy eights. Yeah, Jenny, and Jenny, so, Jenny, Lucille. Yeah, yeah. So talk about his elect electric. You played drums with him, so I mean that's like on fire. Incredible stuff, man. I mean, I. I end up at the International Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, right. opening up the show for Elvis Presley. Mm -hmm. Little Richard and Elvis Presley. Uh, Red Fox was a, the comedian that started the show. He was hilarious. Richard mm -hmm. uh, a great mood. And then Little Richard. And it was just amazing. I mean, working with Richard. I mean, there would be kings, princes. Uh, queens, uh, great imams, uh, just people from all over the world. I mean, I've seen everything. Uh, I mean, the presidents, um, pastors, you know, Billy Graham showed up at one of our We had Jimi Hendrix playing guitar, you know, Billy Preston playing keyboards, Little Richard uh, playing uh, the piano, Billy playing the organ and Jimi Hendrix playing guitar. We, we don't know Jimi Hendrix. It was Jimmy James, baby. Right. Jimmy James. Right. And we would have blast, man. And Richard, the the music, I mean, it's not normal stuff. I mean, you don't see do do pot, do do pot. No, 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 do do pot. You know, we you don't do no do two pots around here, huh? honey. Uh 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 watch for show. And that's the way he played. That's the way it was done. It wasn't done. You know, none of that stuff, man. It's like, you know, I'll get up out of here with that. You know, and it was like being an actor. Uh, working with Richard, you had to do your part. If you didn't do it, man, that was it. And so many people got fired uh, from not being able to understand Wash Vashola. No. <laughs> and it was, you know, uh, I had to learn that from, from working with Richard that um, when a singer is singing and, 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 and a you know, if they're not patting their foot, if they're not doing moving, then it's because I'm not doing something to make them move. And then when I when I finally get them moving, I can just watch them, and, it, and that'll tell me where I'm supposed to go. It's just so so much that I learned from Richard. I mean, with that fire, talking about that fire, electricity. It's just so awesome working with him. Uh, you mentioned a young man named Jimmy James in, in this group with you and Little Richard. Are you speaking of 
James Marshall Hendricks? Yes, I am. Can you speak about him at that time of your life? He was very quiet, um, but just electrifying. He, he had so much energy. He wasn't like the normal guitar player. Um, there would be Richard on the right side of the wing waiting to come in as the band was playing. Yeah. And when Jimmy was supposed to be on stage with us, no, he'd, he'd come in from the other side. <laughs> as, as little Richard was coming up on stage, you know, Jimmy would come in on the other stage and he'd do that on his own. Richard didn't tell him to do that, you know. And one, one night Richard stopped him and said, hold it, stop. So I'm the star of this show. He said, honey, I'm, don't you know I'm Little Richard, the king of rock and roll? I'm the architecture, uh, the uh, innovator, the, uh, the, the, uh, the obligated, the, uh, all these other words that, <laughs> that, that, that we would mention together. You know, uh, I'm the originator, the emancipator, the proclamator. And after I'm gone, there'll be no more, honey. He said, and, 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 and by the way, uh, I'm the star of this show. And he said, what are you doing with uh, trying to look like me? You know, because Jimmy would be pretty flamboyant. He'd have all these feathers going on, and he was looking really good. Mm -hmm. And um, and he says, and besides, you're out of tune. He says, and so he sits at the piano and hits every note on the piano. Now tune up, tune up, you know. Uh -huh. And so he, Richard would start talking to the audience. And um, he saw this one little guy out there. He says, he's a midget, and he says, Oh, uh, 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 come here, a little short stuff. He said, "What's your name?" He said, "My name is Bill." He said, "Can I sing a song for you while while these guys get this uh, his is a guitar?" And uh, he's running. I found my thrill on top of little Bill. Whoa, oh, oh, I shouldn't say that. And Bill started running off the stage. This is after he had asked Bill to jump come up on the stage, starts running off. Uh, just some crazy stuff like that. Meanwhile, <laughs> Jimmy is sitting there. Right. And he's, you know, you know how you have to turn the peg to get a, you know, a little, a little better, more in tune? Oh, yeah. Turn these pegs. Well, it was noticed that Jimmy had his hand down. Uh, he had his right hand down to the ground. I mean, just hold, down to his side. Never you know, touching the pig at all, but just going, boom, 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 boom. And he never, never touched not any pegs on the, on the guitar to change the sound or the tone of any strings. And the audience is looking and noticing this. And so Richard turns around and finally says, are you into? And she says, yeah. And she says, give me a seat. Uh, give me a C card. Richard hits a C. Bang. And then Jimmy hits a bang. And Richard goes, oh, much better. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and he never touched. It was funny. He had never touched any keys at all, but he told me he was out of tune. So it was just, you know, you would, you would think that it was kind of an act, but it's just amazing stuff to just, just, I don't know. I don't understand. I still can't explain how funny it was, but it was just, the whole band would be cracking up and Richard would turn around. He'd look and he'd wonder why everybody was laughing. You know, Jimmy wasn't laughing. He was just sitting there, you know, ready to play the next song. And it's just so, I mean, just funny stuff like that. But the God, the guitar playing and um, solos that he, that he would take, uh, because usually he liked this guy named Bobby Forte. I don't know if you've ever met him before. No. He was our saxophone player. Okay. Okay. He'd do all these saxophones on Rip It Up and um, Good Golly Miss Molly does these sax solos. And to have Jimmy James around, you know, during the, the time, um, he wasn't um, an official band member, but he would sit in every once in a while because he and Richard were friends and Richard liked him and he liked Richard. And uh, he was on his way to fame. Mm -hmm. And finally made it pretty big. So mm -hmm. that was a that was a lot of fun working with Jimmy. Oh, man. Guy. Oh, yeah. Bless your heart, man. James Marshall. Yes, man. So you've worked with everyone who's really changed the world of music. 
And I know you mentioned how much you love James Gadsden. I want, he's coming through now. Say something about James Gadsden, because I read where you just adore him, and we all do. But just say something about him, if you don't mind. Oh, James Gadsden. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, talking about an underrated yes. drummer. Mm-hmm. James is, I call James the godfather of all drums. Yes, I read that. <laughs> he gets mad when I say that because, you know, oh, don't do that. Somebody's going to get pretty upset when you say that. Well, you know, I can't help it. You know, people just have to get upset. James Gasson to me, uh, because maybe there are a lot of great drummers. Obviously, obviously there were uh, before, you know, I came on the scene. Uh, and James probably paid reverence to those guys. But when I came up, you know, it was the James Gassons uh, uh, and uh, the Bernard Purdy, and, you know, and uh, Narada, Michael Walden, you know, these guys I grew up, you know, listening to. And um, um, I don't know, um, to me, James uh, just had this special thing going on. Um he literally introduced me uh, to playing drums in the studio. Uh, the first time I had ever played uh, drums was on Little Richard's album um, called um, uh, The King of Rock and Roll. And there was a, a Benjamin Barrett Musical Services that already hired all the musicians. And Richard just told me to come and bring my drum set. And I came and brought, brought my drum set. H.B. Um, uh, Barnum was the arranger and uh, the producer on this album. And when I walked in, he was like, he was kind of confused. And then Richard came in and kind of like, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. oh, and he was like, oh, okay, you know. Mm-hmm. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting next to James Gasson, and James telling me what to play. Just play, do, 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 do. And every once in a while, I want you to go, do, 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 And then James, so James, do, 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 And we put these two parts together, and it's like I couldn't believe it. James was telling me what to play, and so I felt secure. Mm-hmm. And that was the first album I played drums on. Sitting so two next drummers, to two drummers is, two is drummers, fat, man. Wow, man. Mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. James was telling me what to play, and wow. so uh, from that point on, later on, um, Billy Preston pretty much introduced me to session because there's listen, Narada. There is a word called. Um, uh, what is it when you when you take a vacation? I'm going on a high a hiatus. Now I I'm young and, and I'm like going on a hyenas. I called it a hyenas. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I went to I, I I went to Billy and I said, Billy, what's a hyenas? He says hyenas. I said, Yeah, Richard's getting ready to 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 take one or to go on one. He said, Oh, that's a hiatus. Oh, okay. He said, well, he said for Richard, he says it means that uh, Richard's going to take a break and he's going on the vacation. He said, but for you and I, it means we're out of work. So he says, uh, but don't worry. He says, I got friends over at Motown. We're going to be doing a bunch of sessions and stuff. And I'll call you, make sure, you know, you get, you know, to, to make a little money and hang out and meet some friends. And yeah. so. There I meet James Gasson again on dates. You know, here we are. We did a date. There was three of us. There's J- uh, uh, Jeff Beccaro, mm-hmm. James Gasson, and Alvin Taylor. Mm-hmm. And we're on all, all three set up at Crystal Studios, Crystal Industries. And, um, you know, James Gasson is pretty much, you know, he's like the, the king here. I mean, he, Jeff Beccaro and I both are like, what do you want us to do, Dad? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were working with this group called The Originals uh, on an album called Come uh, uh, Unique. Uh, the, uh, the, the disco song that I remember playing on was called Down to Love Town. Okay. Down to Love Town. It's really wow. amazing. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, but from that point on, I mean, James is really very well established to me that he was like, like the top guy around town, even though there was Hal Blaine and uh, uh, Gene Pello and a bunch of other guys that were Ed Green, 
Yes. You know, a lot of cats that were around doing stuff. Uh, yeah, Hal Blaine, I mentioned Hal. Yes. James is just, um, nobody was doing the stuff that James was doing. Well, I mean, it was just different. Just I, I went to that room you're talking about, the chrysalis room that Stevie Wonder then took over at one point, and there was a snare drum of James's in there, and it was really tuned low to the point where I was like, I wonder why he's tuning it so low. And I would hit it, it would sound beautiful, but it was really tuned low. Did you ever experience that? That he would have a snare tuned super low? Yeah. He, um, he had this, he said that, um, and I asked him that, he okay. said that, it, it, that's where you get the real tone from. That when you t- when you tune it high, uh, the the high pitched snare drum it just cuts through. Uh, when you hit it, 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 it it's thin, and it doesn't get, have any bottom. So he says that when you get the snare sound, he used the word patch, p a t c h. He says say it, and I go patch, patch. He says see so when you hear the patch. Mm. You, get, you want to get the ch from the bottom. You want to hear those snares rattle. Pesh, 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 pesh. So it's got a a top end, but only a, a low kind of rumble, like a air sound, air to it when you hit that low sound. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of, boy, it's really, it's, ooh, it's nasty. Yeah, it's, it's a magic in there. It really yeah. is magic. There really is. God, man. I worked with an engineer named Bobby Clearmountain. He was the one that kind of educated me how to tune that thing to make that patch. Yeah. And he would listen to it. He would hit it over and over again to just make the snares a little bit looser and just find that one sweet spot. And that would be the spot he would love. So you're right. I mean, we don't talk about it too much, but that carries the record. That sound carries the record. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, oh, you make my love come down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the sound on that, now that's some drum sound. Mm-hmm. And whatever you did there to get the sounds that you wanted to do and to, I mean, you really, you know, that's, that's the stuff that you get called Dr. Narada, Michael Wallman. Doctor, see, because not because you have a certificate as a medical doctor or that you have a good degree in divinity, but that you do the work mm. that heals people. The work that you do is healing. It's a healing balm for people who are sitting there and that are hurting from uh, bereavement, uh, from. Uh, the pandemic or, you know, just maybe on a sick bed, you know, people are laying down on a sick bed. All of a sudden they're able to, you know, after listening to that, they're able to, to breathe better and to feel better. It's just some, like you talk about magic. I guess that's yeah. a good word for today. There's just so much magic in that. And I think a lot of that has to weigh, it has to do with the, the sound that you got, you know, uh, uh, whether it's electronic, uh, whether it's triggers, whether it's just a regular drum snare, snare drum, mm. it's something that was just so magical about mm. the sound. Uh, and, and I know that you're responsible for that. Oh, we love you. Now, now this is my interview on you now. So <laughs> flip the table. Now, listen, you. Uh... <laughs> well, I know, but I got, I, you know, hey, listen, okay. a, a, a lot of the reason that I'm being interviewed here today has a lot to do with influences uh, from people like yourself. Uh, had I not listened to stuff that you did and uh, learned a lot of stuff that you did, I, I, I wouldn't be able to incorporate some of that stuff into what I'm doing. And so I, you know, I, I can't do back there, you know, with that drum set, what, what I do without hearing guys like you and hearing guys like Gatson. So, you know, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to you. There's something you said earlier I want to get back to when you said the healing. And I really believe in that. And this is why I think that you've been so successful, Alvin, is, yeah, you're a fantastic drummer, but you're so nice to be around 
People want to be around you because they feel healing spirit with you. You mentioned George Harris. You mentioned Elton John. And, of course, all the L.A. people that you were around. Can you speak about that aspect that we don't talk about too much? The person. People want to be around a certain person. Yeah, they, they, they play nice. But there's also something they get being around them that helps them record better, makes them feel better. Something about that. Can you speak about that aspect? Sure. Um, okay. Well, I tell you, um, George was, is a very highly spiritual person. Not, not, not religious. I'm not talking about religion. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're, if you're a religious person, I, I'm not trying to say anything bad about religion. Mm-hmm. There's just something that's mystical and magical about being spiritual. Mm-hmm. And George was extremely spiritual, really wonderful guy to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, working with George was like working with um, Steven Spielberg uh, doing a movie. So when you're working with George Harrison doing an album, it's almost thinking of working with Steven Spielberg. It's like, wow, I wonder what is he going to have me doing? I wonder what's my part going to be? What is it? What's it going to look like on the screen? You know, what's it going to look like when I take a listen and hear it? Mm-hmm. And man, I mean, ooh, man. Wow. When you can't, when you, man, when you entered the room this morning, yeah. singing Cracker Box Palace the way you did, mm. man, that's that's because of the the um, the magic that George had that would allow you to be able to grab from that and to be able to use that. So there's there's some balm, there's some healing agents there that 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 can be used by other people. Uh, it's like, it's, it's almost like uh, take three aspirins and you know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> you know, and everything will be okay. Kind of. mm-hmm. The way George uh, does his music uh, and the type of person that he is when you're we're around him. Uh, Elton John is a, one of the funniest guys I ever met. He's so hilarious. He, uh, always full of joy, uh, always very peaceful. And uh, that's, that's healing. I mean, when you're, when you're sick, man, I mean, pick up the phone and call Elton John. And you believe me, you, you're going to get well just listening to the guy, you know? And it's, so it's just always uh, full of joy, uh, full of peace and full of happiness. And that's always a wonderful thing. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I know I can, I can tell you that being around these guys, uh, Bill Withers, you know, uh, Stevie Wonder, hanging out with these cats, it's just healing. I mean, I, I get the same vibe uh, uh, with you when I'm hanging around these cats. They're always full of energy, always got something to say. And it's always um, uh, something to do with... Um, joy and peace and it's it's healing yes and then do you find that well for example like on cracker box palace that you played on in that album is it george looking to you to bring your own ideas for the parts the arranging of the drumming that you did for example in, in the verse you're playing at halftime then you go to the then you're going and you cut time for your for your chorus so is he looking for you to bring that spirit and uh, can you speak about that yeah well you know george it's a only, you know, I'm like, oh, so this is how records supposed to be made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. After all, working with all these cats and then all of a sudden working with George. Yeah. George sits down at a fireplace with a 12-string guitar, mm-hmm. plays all the songs that he's, he's going to be, I'm going to be doing on the album. He's introducing me to the album. Mm-hmm. After I'd flown over from London and sits, I'm sitting in his castle. And he's talking to me he's like oh this is a song uh you know about herb alpert uh i was wanting to be with uh a&m because um george i mean uh, uh, herb alpert uh, is a musician and i knew that he would understand 
you know, uh, about musicians and be sensitive and considerate of musicians and be helpful to them. And, you know, I had a talk with him and it's like we thought, he says, and then all this horrible stuff happened. I won't go into detail. But meanwhile, he's still playing the song, right? He's playing the song while he's talking. Mm-hmm. He's not singing the lyrics to the song. He's just telling you the story behind the song as he's playing it. Mm-hmm. And he said, so he said, after all this horrible kind of stuff happened, he says, you know what? You're supposed to love people no matter what. He said, but I'm, you know, he said, I, I'm still learning how to love, you know, uh, this this guy who I'm, I'm upset. I'm angry with him. Mm-hmm. And so he wrote a song called Learning How to Love You. Oh. And it had to do, he says that uh, he, he wrote that song because of what happened, you know, with his situation with her over at AM that caused him to leave and go to Mo Austin over at Warner Brothers. Okay. So that, okay. if you were to go back and listen to that song, yes. okay. Learning How to Love You by George Harrison. All right. Uh, and so, but George did that on all the songs. He said, oh, now this is a song called This Song. And the whole purpose for this song is it's supposed to be a comic, uh, uh, because it's kind of a spliff on, uh, a spliff, a spoof or a spiff or whatever he calls it. Mm-hmm. A, a joke, a spoof, basically. A a what is it? A spoof? Yeah, I think so. Okay. On, <laughs> okay. It's supposed to be on, on the fact that I got sued for uh, My Sweet Lord. Oh, yes. All so, right. Then uh, So he's, as he's singing the song, he's saying, so I want people to understand that, you know, you can. And, and by the way, Willie Weeks was playing bass with us and the bass line was boom, 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 boom. So he and George is saying, you could sing Sugar Pie Honey Bunch of that, right? I said, boom, 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 Sugar Pie Honey Bunch, boom, 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 boom. He said, oh, but you could also sing Rescue Me, boom, 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 boom. I said, oh, Rescue Me. So, and and it's funny because when we did the record, he actually had uh, Eric Idle uh, from, um, oh God, uh, Money Python Flying Circus. Yes. The creator of that. Yeah. Um, this could be Honey Bunch, a Chicken Pie Honey Bunch, or it could be Rescue Me, you know. And so as the, as the line is going, doo, 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 this song, there's nothing tricky about it, this song. Ain't black or white, and it doesn't infringe on anyone's copyright. So, dun, dun, dun. this song is an E. This song could be, it could be for you, me, and your aunties, you know. And he said, uh, and it, they, it's really funny because he sings this song called This Song, and it's a joke about, <laughs> you know, why, how could you sue me for my sweet Lord? I mean, there's only so many keys that you could play. Yes. You know, and there's 20 other songs that also have the same kind of a thing. When you're going to pick me and sue me because supposedly I'm one of the Beatles and probably I got some money to pay you. But these other guys, you're not going to sue them because they don't have the money to pay you. Mm-hmm. Wow. Shame on you guys. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole purpose of that. Um, working with George was kind of like, you know, once you get an idea of the script yes. or of the story, he kind of gives you a script that you kind of build in your own mind to what you should be playing to these songs when you play. Mm-hmm. So it gives you an idea. When you're playing, believe me, you're playing with confidence. Mm-hmm. You're not guessing. Yes, that's because right. Because he's already told you. He's mm-hmm. already showed you. So it's like being an actor where you're stepping in and pronouncing your parts. Yes. And actually acting and doing the part. So it's like being an actor uh, when you're working with George. The only difference is, is you got sticks in your hands and you're hitting some skins. Right, right, right. Right. I notice also your work with uh, the band America. Can you speak about America? Oh, boy. I, I really well, love love that band. And I didn't know you had worked with them so much. So here, I, these are things that you've just done that uh, mind-blowing. I want to hear you talk about it. It, you know, it's crazy that you would mention that because yeah. okay. some of these things you hardly, I mean, God, I forgot all about okay. the fact that I work with America. I mean, how could you, <laughs> how did you forget that you work with America, Yeah, you know, and, and, the, and you live in the country of America and, and you know, and then you're working with, um, you know, uh, another great drummer. He was with um, 
the band, um, oh boy, um, oh, what goes up must come down. Bobby Columbia, Bl- yeah, blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, yeah, blood, sweat, and tears. Yes. So you know, um, he produced L. Yes. So um, I mean. Here is another great drummer. Yes. Someone who, mm-hmm. you know, you grow up listening to. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I was a young kid when I when I was listening to Blood, Sweat, and Tears. But by, uh, all of a sudden, I, um, I get a call. Right. And uh, I'm like, hello. Uh, hi, Alvin Taylor. Yeah, this is Alvin. Yeah, uh, this is Bobby Columbia. I'm like, oh, get out of here. I, just, I, I wanted to say get out of here, but I. I didn't want to disrespect whoever it was that was trying to play a joke on me. I wanted to kind of like go along with it. So I'm thinking that's this is this has got to be a joke. But then I'm listening to him more and more, and he's saying, "Yeah, you, you know, you've been working with a friend of mine uh, over here at Capitol, uh, Carter. You know, who's a producer, and I like what you're doing with uh, Bob Welch. And yeah, you know, I was talking to Mick Fleetwood the other day. He, he um, uh, I was going to use him for the album here, and he uh, recommended you. Beautiful, you know, beautiful. Like, wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. He was recommended by Mick Fleetwood to do an album that they want him to do, but he's asking, he's saying, that Alvin Taylor do it? Mm-hmm. Okay, I've made it. I've made it big now. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, I'm somebody. You know, <clears throat> that's right. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, but fortunately... Um, my ego didn't get as big as as I, as, as it could have gotten, uh, you know. It's, uh, but to be in the room with Bobby Columbia mm-hmm. uh, and working uh, on an album for a group called America, mm-hmm. come on, Narada. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, how exciting! Yes. And then, man, the songs, the music was just so, you know, I just had a lot of fun. It was just fun, fun, Beautiful. fun, fun. Beautiful. Working with these guys, uh, amazing group of men. Yes, brother. It's awesome. Yes. Love, also, you have them. a friend who I also uh, have as a friend in my heart, uh, uh, the great uh, Richard Perry. I know you've done mm-hmm. some work with him as well, and he's another one who's just so pioneering in his work. Yeah. And done so much. So I know you're in his world as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, after the hit record, uh, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing. Yeah. Uh, before it was a hit, you know, after it, it had just been recorded, you know, Richard was saying, hey, Alvin, I, I want you to go out on the road. He says, if you go out on the road with Leo, um, he said, I, I can use that as an excuse to surround the band with a bunch of all-star players. He said, but if you're not going to do it, he said, he said, I really need you. He said, if you if you do me this favor and go out with him, I promise you, when you come back, I'll have more work than you could ever imagine for you. Oh. For his recording as concerned. Okay. Because I kept telling him, you know, no, James Gasson told me not to go on the road. James said, no, don't go on the road, man. Yeah. He says, the moment they find out that you're on the road as a drummer, eh, they're not going to call you anymore because they're just going to go to the next guy who they know is always in town. Yes. They're going to call James okay. Gasson. They're going to call Ed Green. They're going to call Hal Blaine. They know these guys are not going on the road. So why waste making a phone call to a guy who might be out on the road? You know, so if you get to, if you get known as a road man, a guy that goes on road, thing, I don't call you anymore. Well, at least that's the way that it was. I mean, ask Leland Scar. I don't think Leland Scar believes that. <laughs> he go every time you, every time you talk, talk to Lee, he's on the road with somebody or in the studio with somebody, one or the other. Mm-hmm. But getting back to Richard Perry, uh, Richard formed this band to go out on the road with Leo Sarah. Yes. We had Nicky Hopkins playing keyboards. Right. We had Steve Madeo playing trumpet and Bobby Keys playing sax. Bobby, uh, yeah. the, the Rolling Stones weren't working at that time. So Bobby Keys 
was able to come and play with us. Here we had Dunn Preston from the Mothers of Invention with Alice Cooper back in the day playing uh, uh, synthesizers for us. He was doing the string work. Mm -hmm. uh, then we had Richie Zito, guitar mm -hmm. player, playing right. guitar for us. Okay. Oliver C. Brown from Casey and the Sunshine Band playing congas and percussions with us. Right. And Reggie McBride. Well, I'll stop right there. Because that uh -huh. cat right there is my friend, too. And he is a hell of a bass man from Stevie Wonder. I jammed with him with Tommy Bolin, that band. So the fact that you know you jam with, shoot, man. That, that I know that's a hell of a band. Because that cat, McBride, could rock and was solid yeah. like you are. Every time I play with Reggie McBride, it's like getting in the limousine. Because <laughs> I know he's going to take me where I got to go. Yeah, I don't have to yeah. worry about anything. I just, I don't even need a charge or nothing. I can just follow Reggie McBride. Okay. You know, he's he's finger licking good, baby. Yeah, yeah, I know. Finger licking good. He That's right. That <laughs> he's like <Yeah>. licking. <laughs> oh, man. Reggie McBride, I love you, man. I love yes. you, Reggie. Is yes, thank you. Amazing bass player. Yes. And so we had so much fun on the road. Uh, we got to the point where we had done uh, six months. And all the promoters that we had worked with wanted us back. And they wanted us back. Now, can okay. you come down? And, and so we ended up being out on the road for a year. Oh, a long time then. Okay. And then after the, after the year... Then the, the people in Europe had heard about how great the tour was, how great the band was. Yes. Next thing we end up for another three months in Europe. Wow. And so uh, when we got back to America, instead of taking it easy, they, we, they wanted us to do another three-month tour. So we called it uh, the Endless Tour. The, the tour was called the Endless Flight Tour. So we ended up taking the endless flight off and said the endless tour. Right, <laughs> we right. out for like a yeah. year and a half. Yeah. Leo Sarah. Uh, all because of Richard Perry. And Richard was like, what you don't understand. You know how Richard talks. Mm -hmm. That's right. And boy, he had us out there uh, for... <laughs> Uh, good little time, and but when I came back, he kept his promise. That's what was, that was my question. Did, did it all work out for you? He looked out for me, man. You know, I'm so grateful. Yes, uh, and I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. If I never played another note on a on a drum, or never uh, played another gig live, uh, or done any session work or any, if I just stopped period because of Richard Perry I could say that I could live my life because of the residuals from the television shows mm -hmm. and the movies uh, and commercials that I've done um, thank God through Richard Perry that I could live off of that for the rest of my life and I'd mm -hmm. never have to ever play again well, don't get me wrong I'm not going to stop playing baby I'm still here that's right. I'm still here. But mm -hmm. I'm just saying that because of Richard Perry, he kept his word and he's such an amazing um, executive, such a yeah. great producer, right. uh, such a wonderful person. Right. Yeah. You know, I saw him maybe like two years before the COVID hit. They were honoring, it was a Clive Davis event in LA. It was a, an Aretha Franklin tribute. Joni Mitchell was there. And and uh, Richard was there. I think Richard had suffered some kind of minor stroke or something, yeah. something like that, where he was not quite at his you know his hundred percent self, just more kind of laid back. But it was very nice to see him. Very nice to see him. Yeah. And Clive Davis, you mentioned him. He's another amazing person that's been in my life yes. uh, since I was you know fourteen years old. Mm -hmm. and, um, it's wonderful every time I call him, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and he answers the phone. It's like, yeah. you know, wow. And uh, I, I know that uh, there's people that he knows that he's just too busy, won't answer the phone. You know, take a right. message, I'll get back to him. 
Mm-hmm. And I understand that because if he answered the phone for everybody, he'd never get work done, mm-hmm. the type of people that are calling. Yes. But he was um, a um, intern for uh, Columbia Records at the time. Um, he, came, he had just gotten out of law school and needed a, one of the gigs. So he came to, to try to get on as A&R. They didn't have work for him, but they, uh, the president at that time liked the way he looked and liked his enthusiasm and says, hey, how about, you know, um, you know as an intern, you know, and so next thing I know, uh, we're using Hyde Davis as a goal for, hey, could you go to Arby's and get us some, and I was with a band called Pacific Gas and Electric. Right, of course. Called are, are you ready to sit right now? Are you ready not to be alone? Someone's coming to carry you home. And if you're ready, then we care. So I was in that band playing drums with Charlie Allen as our lead singer. Yeah. And we'd have Clive Davis going to get burgers for us and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, he ends up um, with a job because the head of the legal department left. So he ended up taking over the legal department of Columbia. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a year, it wasn't a year that the president at that time decided to leave. And they were like, well, who do we get for president? And someone said, well, how about somebody that really, it has to be somebody that knows about the legal department really well and understands, oh, that would be Clive Davis. Hey, oh, yeah, remember the guy, he's been there a year. Uh, he's only been there a year. Well, yeah, but he knows. No, next thing you know, he's the president of Columbia Records. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that's, you know, uh, everybody starts getting signed, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, God, you know. I've done a lot of work with Clive, but I have to say, before I ever knew him, there's one ballsy move he made that changed music. And that is the choosing of Bridge Over Troubled Water, Simon and Garfunkel, as the first single on that album. Because Paul Simon was wanting to be Cecilia. And they thought Bridge of Water was just going to be a beautiful album track. But when Clive heard it, he really put his life into making that the first single and putting every every bit of ounce of energy behind that. And when we, were, we would hear it, it would just be captivating. So that's the power of the Clive to really get the music and make sure people hear it, you know. And, if, you know, I'll, I'll tell you something, and, and the world needs to know this. Mm-hmm. Because, you know... Clive Davis is not going to come out and say this. I'm going to say it on behalf of Clive Davis. If it wasn't for Clive Davis, we wouldn't have no soul music being played on the radio. Hmm. Clive Davis is the one who broke that. I mean, he went to Philadelphia, hooked up with uh, uh, Leon uh, Huff and Kenny Gamble. Kenny Gamble and Leon Huff over at uh, at TSOP, the Sounds of Philadelphia, and got, I mean, I mean, that Saul Soul Orchestra. And I mean, they, I mean, you hear them on everything. I mean, you know, I'm leaving. What was that song? God, I want to walk away from love before love breaks my heart. David Ruffin. God, the list goes on. Major Harris. The OJs, what you doing now? Smiling in your face. Yeah. Uh, you know they didn't want to play the the uh, local programmers. They didn't want to play that kind of music, and Clive uh, kind of um, forced them <laughs> pretty much to play it. You know, so next thing you know, you're starting to hear that kind of music on the radio mm-hmm. when it wasn't. You couldn't hear that kind of music on the radio. Mm-hmm. And it was right around sixty. 66, 67, all that started right around that time. But before that, you couldn't get that kind of music on the radio. So Clive Davis, you know, my, my hat's off to him. What a great yeah, man. beautiful. Well, I have to say, if you're talking about Clive, the reason I was able to work with, with Aretha Franklin in the first place was Clive. He said, just give her a call. I called her and the rest is history from Who's Zoom and Who and a Free Rare Love and all that stuff because Clive said, just give her a call. And then come Whitney Houston and all that work. And then we got a lot of work with Aristotle. But I'm saying it was really because he opened his heart and said, well, just just try these things. And I did. So God bless him. Thank him for all those things. Yeah. God bless him. Uh, yeah, so I want to say to you, and what's something you want to say to everybody? <clears throat> You've lived such a wonderful life and you have more to live, of course. But what do you want to share with us at this time? Today is uh, July 19th, 
2022, you're, you're rich, you're wise, you've seen things that only we can dream of. Just hit us, man. Put it on us. Lay it on us, bro. Put the gravy <laughs> on the potato. <laughs> hit, hit us, man. Well, you know, um, music has really, really, really made me uh, wise. Uh, it's made me rich. It's made me healthy. Um, um, I've learned how to be clean. Yeah. I've learned how to be sober. And when I say sober, I'm talking about sober in in my action, sober in my behavior. Uh, do I get angry? Yeah, but um, uh, I'm learning how to respond appropriate with my anger. See, you and I might totally disagree. I might say, well, this is good. And you might say, well, that's bad. Well, you say that that's bad doesn't make me angry enough to debate with you and tell you why I think it's all good. I have to have empathy. I have to be respectful. Mm. I have to be loving. I have to be kind mm. to you mm. in spite of me disagreeing with you. I have to still love you so that I can win you over mm -hmm. to me as a friend and as a, um, a person that we can communicate together. Wow, that's it. Uh, let's, let's put it this way. I, I can't get my point across being cross. Mm -hmm. You know, um, listen, I, I'll never be able to get my point across. If I'm if I'm crisscross, if I'm upset, if I'm angry, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. So I'm learning things that, as I get older, I, I got um, uh, thirteen uh, grandchildren. Oh wow, man! Thank you. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, um, so not a gray hair in my head because I've dyed it. <laughs> All right. Just no, kidding. No one knows nothing, man. You look hot. <clears throat> you know, yeah, imaginary gray hairs. And, but the thing is, is that um, what I'm learning, I think, is that people don't care how much you know till they know that you care. And caring comes from the perspective of hearing what other people have to say. As long as you listen long enough to someone speak, then you're able to know how to minister to their needs and to say things to them that can be helpful to them. And I believe that once a person knows that you, you've listened hard long enough, that they, uh, they, they're they ready to hear something from you because they know that you've heard them and they, they respect you enough to, to be ready to hear what you gotta say. Mm -hmm. If you're doing a lot of talking and not listening and not being empathetic for what the other person believes, whether you like it or not, mm -hmm. you know, it's like so. Um, and, and, and you know, it, it, the example is is that one person might be he, he might have a a religion of uh, let's say he, he could be Catholic, and then another person might be Buddhist. Or he might have a, you know, a Indian philosophy, um, a more of a Middle Eastern type of philosophy or whatever. But just because one person believes in one thing and another person believes in another one, that there shouldn't be any schism. Uh, schism is the word separation. There shouldn't be any separation. Well, yeah, I'm better than him because I'm Catholic or I'm better than him because I'm Baptist, you know. Yeah. Uh, I'm Baptist and, you know, my great granddaddy was Baptist and you can't make me a Christian or you can't make me believe, you know, um, uh, in Buddha or whatever. <laughs> I've, had, I've had to learn, man, that, you know what, I have to be able to get along and to embrace 
you know, all faiths and all people and to love everybody, no matter what. And then, man, my life, I, I, I'm just so full of joy. That's what gives me the joy. That's what gives me the peace. And that's what gives me the harmony, you know. And so I don't have to know what anyone's religion is. Um, I, I, can, I can look at them and I can see the power and the spirit of grace and unity and harmony and love in them. Right. You know, it doesn't matter what they believe in, or, you know, who they believe in or how they believe. Mm -hmm. uh, so to me, uh, once again, um, it's all about uh, being wise. And uh, wisdom is, is, the, is the act of what I believe. I mean, it's, someone said that faith, uh, there's a difference between belief Believing and having faith. See, believing is seeing a wheelbarrow go across a tightrope from one building to the other building with no net under the bottom. A wheelbarrow, you know, seeing someone push the wheelbarrow. Well, if I'm sitting in the audience and seeing someone push the wheelbarrow, I'm hoping and I'm believing that they'll get across. You know, that's believing. Faith is seeing. I'm going to go get in the wheelbarrow as, <laughs> as they push it across. <laughs> That's faith. So believing in faith is two different things. Once you have faith, faith, faith is the act of what you believe. And that's what wisdom is all about, using that. And I think that, you know, music, really, music has taught me that. Yes. I didn't go to school to learn that. I, I, I learned that by hanging out, you know, with cats like you, mm -hmm. Nirvana, and talking and seeing all of that in your life and, and, and seeing it in, you know, the people's lives that you work with and the people that I work with. And it's just, uh, it's just so all around us, life, grab it, you know, be a part of it, you know, share it with others, you know, yeah. learn to love others, learn to be kind. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, helpful to others. And so that's what it's about for me. Wow. That's where I'm at. Those beautiful. are the best words of reason that I can give. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, Alvin, you've done so much, man. Just want to really open our hearts and uh, give you the outpouring of gratitude for the love and the work you've put down in your life and to encourage you to stay as strong as you are for the future. And keep it up. And come visit us at Tarpan Studios, where I am right now, in this beautiful room where I've been sitting since 85. You're welcome to come and cut something or do something. And just want to really just thank you. Um, I always knew you had wisdom because I could just hear it. I could feel it. And so to hear you speak today has just been uh, gratifying and important. I look at you like I look at the James Gadsden people who have given so much, but we want to hear your words. Because, like, again, I'll say it, you've experienced things that we, we will never experience. So we look to you, like, to keep Jimmy alive. We look to you to keep little Richard alive. We look to you to keep all these people that we've grown to love alive because you knew them. <laughs> you, you, you worked with them, you see. You're, you're, you're part of the fabric of our, of our lives. So I want to really just share that with you and, and tell, tell you we love you and thank you, yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm so grateful, man. So grateful. Uh, thank you so much. I also wanted to, you know, uh, say uh, to my friend Bill Withers, yes. rest in peace, George Harrison, yes. rest in peace, Billy Preston, yes. rest in peace. You know, I did the very first Saturday Night Live show with Billy Preston, and we got a chance um, to see you know, Gilda Ratner, uh, Chevy Chase, and Garrett Morris, uh, John Belushi, and, and all these people right there for the first time uh, before they ever became famous. Miss just some of them. Uh, to, to see that happen was just amazing. And, you know, rest in peace, Billy Preston, and grateful for working with Sly Stone, yes. you know, and so many other people that I. I'm grateful for, and uh, once again, uh, to have 
the privilege and the pleasure to be face to face with the master. I call you a master, <laughs> uh, master uh, Nevada, my Walden. Thank oh, you. Love you. Thank you. Alvin, let's <clears throat> let's hook up soon. Come come visit us. And thank you for your great, great interview today. I knew it was gonna be a knockout, and you have knocked us out, man. So thank you for your love. Thank you so much for listening to our all-in podcast. If you enjoy the show, please follow, like, and subscribe on our socials, YouTube, official Narda Instagram, official Narda, one word. And all in with Narda Michael Walden on Apple Music, Spotify, and more. Thank you so very much.